Welcome to the Hilltop United Methodist Church podcast. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 10.30. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye. Our scripture reading this morning is from the King James Version. And I will be, uh, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible, it's found on page 510. I, uh, when you get your Bible and you're in the third grade, the one I got was a King, King James Version, and I don't pull it out very much, but back in the day, it has the beautiful color photographs in it. Some of you might have one of those tucked away as well, and it, uh, it's not one I pull out very often, so it's a nice change, I think. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down. Oh, wait, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry, let me start over. Yours is the new standard. Let me read from my script. I apologize. Fret not thyself because of evildoers. Neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, so shall thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desire of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust in him also, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as thy light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise and do evil. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 38, page 177 in your pew Bible. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Fool, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. Thank you. 
Paul is dealing with a church in chaos. Things are crazy. There are divisions within the church. There are things going on that Paul is some three or four hundred miles away, and in that first century world, he does he's sending a, he's sending them what our equivalent would be an email, and he's trying to call their attention of what it is that they're doing and how it is that they've gotten away from what it is that he taught them. This particular unit in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in totality, is a discussion on the resurrection. It's a discussion of how it is that the resurrection is to be understood, and he's dealing with a situation that comes into the group from the pagan culture of the day, which is this fact that once you're dead, you can't be resurrected. And there's some people there that want to believe that you can, but they, they, they're getting trapped in the details. They're getting stuck in the mire of day-to-day -day existence. And they, they, they keep asking these, these kinds of questions that Paul is having and trying to deal with as best he can. Now, the overall section is on resurrection. And I'm, the, the subtext that I'm going to get to is this hint of resurrection. But I really want to focus really uh, on this unit that... Um, that Susan read there and focus on the idea of these, these ideas of seeds. And uh, I, I know there are probably seeds out there that start soft, that start off soft and then they decay, they die. But my, my impression of most seeds are things like that you bite down on them, they have a hard outer core to them, they have a hard outer resilience, a hard outer body that must uh, indeed go away in order for that, that seed to eventually grow. And that's what Paul is talking about uh, in this particular passage. He asks two questions. He's only going to answer one of them. Uh, how are the dead raised? And what kind of body do they, with what kind of body do they come? Now, he's going to finesse that first question because for him, the first question is intuitively obvious. It's theologically obvious. Jesus was raised by God's action, and we're going to be raised by God's action. That's, he doesn't even need to address that as far as he's concerned. So he really instead goes to, the, goes to the second one. With what kind of body do they come? And he set, up, he set up here what is sometimes in conversation called a straw man. He set up, he set up a protagonist. Somebody's going to ask this question. He's going to ask an idea. And then he's going to immediately start to chop it apart. He's going he's to hack it to death. And so he immediately takes this straw man and calls him a fool. Of course, he's Paul's creation. Paul's created him for this, for this conversation. Fool. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you do not sow the body that is to be, but a bare seed, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. Now, here's an important element for us. But God gives it a body as God has chosen. And to each kind of seed its own body. Now, I'm sure there are scholars out there that read that as uh, it's still, if you plant a wheat seed, you're going to get wheat. If you plant a corn seed, corn, you're going to get corn. And you're gonna, you put a, plant a poppy, you're going to get a poppy. But I'd like to take that a little bit and, and play with the idea of the fact that with God, if God can resurrect us, if you think about that, we can, we can plant corn and we can harvest poppy because God can do that. God has, is that powerful and can make that kind of Thing happen. So I would say to you, part of, the, part of the element here is this mystery of what it is that is planted by God through us. 
We, we choose to be part of that, and we, and we are indeed part of this sowing, S-O-W-I-N-G, that goes on. I, my word processor this week, some reason, I must have misspelled it a little bit wrong, but I, I typed in what I thought was S-O-W-I-N-G, and it changed it to S-E-W-I-N-G. Mr. Gates in his world, right? But, but it's important for us to, to recognize that in order for some of this fruit, some of the seeds to, to bear, we have to allow our hard exteriors to go away. We have to allow them to die to this world. Now, this week when Roberta and I were figuring out how we're going to put this whole thing together, this drama that we do every Sunday morning, um, we kept coming back to one particular piece of music over and over and over again. It was written by a lady who was dying of cancer. She was dying of cancer when she wrote this. I think you'll recognize it. In the bulb there is a flower, in the seed an apple tree, in cocoons a hidden promise, butterflies will soon be free. In the cold and snow of winter, there's a spring that waits to be unrevealed until its season, something God alone can See. It's almost like she got inside Paul's mind in that First Corinthians passage there of the fact that God is going to be able to grow things and make things happen that we just hope about and just dream about and can't even sometimes can't even conceptualize about. We've had a lot of help these last eight weeks by a young lady in Denver. Her name's Carrie Greenhill. And a lot of the material that we have used and her suggestions about what to sing on a particular day and how it all fits together has come from her mind. It's a very fertile mind and it's given us a lot of very, very good ideas. For, for this week, she wrote that we need to be thoughtful of something. We must be willing to be broken apart. Excuse me. We must be willing to be broken open. It must be God's resurrection life to spring for. We must be willing to be broken open for God's resurrection life to spring forth. Coming back to that idea of the fact that this tough, hard exterior that sometimes life tries to get us to equip ourselves with, put around ourselves, that we have to be willing to let that exterior go. We have to be willing to let it go in some kind of way so that we live in these, these tensions, these paradoxes, these, these uh, ideas that on one side seems to be so clear, but on the other side we, we have this contrast to it, like it in the last verse. In our end is our beginning, in our time infinity, in our doubt there is believing, in our life eternity, in our death a resurrection at the last, a victory unrevealed until its season, something God alone can see. So Paul has given us this idea of being prepared to let the things of our life die. And it's not unique here in this passage in Corinthians. It's a, a theme that 
Paul uses more than once. He, he comes back to it and back to it and back to it. When he's having his squabble with the church in Galatia, he, you, you think I just he called, he called the Corinthian here foolish. He's, he's even tougher in Galatians. He calls them idiots. Idiots. But in, this, but in, in Galatians, he will remind us, he will remind us that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Think about that. Think about that. What Paul is saying is, is that we, we take our earthly, our human characteristics, and what do we do with them? We nail them to the cross, just as Jesus was nailed to the cross. And we let, let those things die so that we can be resurrected. We can be, we can be raised by God's power. And what happens? This fruit, the fruit of the Spirit is love there. Die out of that life. And he tells us that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against such things. <clears throat> <clears throat> so that's the fruit we can potentially harvest from the seeds of our own lives. And sometimes we, we plant something thinking it's going to be joy and it comes back up as self-control, as a measure of our relationship with God. Now, if that were easy, would we not do it all the time? If that were easy, would it not be something we just endeavor to head out and just accomplish, just like, just get up in the morning and make it happen. It's not that easy. It's a challenge there for us. And sometimes we find these challenges laid out, discussed, articulated, laid out for us in our poetry or the, the hymns and the music that we sing. Some 25 plus years ago, uh, a lady named, named uh, Shirley Arena Murray uh, wrote a piece of music called For Everyone Born, A Place of Table. We just sang it a few minutes ago. And it starts off with this idea of the fact that everyone born needs to have a place at the table, God's table, but it's also God's table of where it is that everybody gets fed and everybody has water, everybody has rights, everybody's, and, and we seek joy and justice for all of them as well. And it's part of our task is to be part of that creation process with God, I'm a believer in the Old Testament terminology, the, the, the subject of every sentence that begins, that has create as the verb in it, the, pro, the subject is God. Okay, it's not us, we don't create, God creates, we might create along with God. But it's this chance for us to recognize that for everyone at the table is a place to, to be. Now, here's the, here's the tension in this particular poem. And it, it, it's hard to preach. It really is hard to preach. I, I bet you that no one got out of their car in the parking lot today and said, I am so looking forward to Pastor Dennis coming, uh, challenging me with the fact that I have to love my daughter's rapist. Nobody, that, that I have to love a person who has killed my nephew that I have to love and forgive someone whose lifestyle is completely 
out of kilter with how I think I understand the Christian orientation of life. I, 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 I just don't imagine that you've hopped, skipped, and jumped into the church looking forward to those words. Her poem, her poem even has a verse in it that we don't sing. It's too hard. It's too hard to sing. What she writes, for just and unjust, a place at the table. Abuser abused with need to forgive. In anger, in hurt, a mindset of mercy. For just and unjust, a new way to live. This week, as I was preparing, I stumbled on a blog by a friend of mine who was looking at that Easter hymn by Charles Wesley, Christ the Lord is Risen Today. And at the end of it, he reflected and he made the comment that the hymn is an invitation for us to see a new way to live, a new way to live, poetry which says, that we need to have a new way to live. I don't know about you, but I wonder if that's God talking. I wonder if that's God talking to us. And maybe God's talking to us about how it is that we might want to sow, S-O-W, sow a new way. By being willing to take those seeds that we carry around and plant them in some kind of way so that in the planting of those seeds, we can indeed harvest this fruit's of the Spirit. These fruits of the Spirit that when we do that, we come back to what well, I did sing in the piece of music. And God will delight when we are creators of justice and joy, compassion and peace. Yes, God will delight when we are creators of justice. Justice and joy. Carrie Greenhill writes, we must be willing to be broken open for God's resurrection life to spring forward. John Wesley watches me from the sound booth, has been for about two years, and sitting there, I've actually dropped him on the floor here for you guys once or twice, but it's to remind me of the fact that I am a pastor in the Wesleyan tradition. I'm connected to John Wesley through about eight generations of bishops that have laid their hands on each other, connecting me with Big John. There's sometimes things that are attributed to John Wesley that he didn't actually say and or write. The, the, what I'm about to give you is actually, when he, he actually gave it, it's in a thousand words uh, unit, and, that, and what I'm about to give you is at the end of some of those units. So somebody in the 1870s went back to those, that sermon and plucked out the various units of it and sewed it, sewed it together into a set of words that makes a lot of sense. And he, he, we call it a, the John Wesley's way of life, John Wesley's way of life. And John Wesley would say, do all the good you can, by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, in all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. Have you ever heard that? 
That's, that's familiar, I think, to those of us that call ourselves the people, the people called Methodist. Do all the good you can by all the means you can and all the ways you can and all the places you can and all the times you can to all the people you can as long as ever you can. Now, I wonder, have to wonder a little bit, where did John Wesley get that? Did he just sort of fall off the back of the turnip truck one day in Bristol, England, and it came to him? No. I'll answer my own question. Paul asked two, and then he answers one. I, I just asked one question. I'll give you the answer. No. No, he did not. He found the words to lay that out in the Bible. He found the words to lay that out in this book, in sacred scripture. He laid, it was found there. We read a psalm. We read a Corinthian. He, the, the material that John Wesley would talk from are in this book. And they lay out for us the roadmap, the way to sow a new way of life. So this guy Jesus, we say we're followers of this guy Jesus. Sometimes we think it's easy. I know he tells us that his, our, his yoke is easy, his burden is light. I got it. I got it. But at the same time, actually living a life in a Christ-like way requires us to let things in our life die. We have to take the things that were part of who we were and plant them in the soil and let them die. And you go back to the Corinthians and we don't know what exactly is going to be born out of that, but we, we have this idea that probably it's going to be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last week we read the first half of Luke's Sermon on the Plain. It's his version of Matthew's Sermon on the Mount. And what does Jesus say in the passage on the Sermon on the Plain? This can be hard words. This can be hard words for you. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. You think about that. Somebody steals your coat and you say, hold it, hold it. You didn't take my shirt too. Wow. Industrial strength love. That's what it looks like. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them for them again. Sandy, help me. Glenn at the crossroads. Glenn Bailey. What's, what's Glenn's last name? Glenn? Bailey? Okay, good. I couldn't remember it. Uh, Glenn was on uh, that Radio West on uh, uh, that uh, Doug Fabrizio for a year ago or so. And he, he walks around town with dollar bills in his pocket. He's downtown at Crossroads, about second, fourth, somewhere around there. But he walks around town with dollar bills in his pocket. Why? Because whenever somebody asks him for money, he gives it to them. You may think, sucker, sucker. What does Jesus say? Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask them again. He's living Jesus. He's a walking embodiment of what Jesus tells us to do. Not easy. 
not easy. I, I can tell you right now, I, I get phone calls from people. People come in and visit. They want to take, they want to, uh, they want to use your pastor's fund in order to do their own kind of thing. And then Jesus gets to the embodiment of what he really wants us to know, understand. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Wow. Sounds easy, right? <laughs> Sounds easy. It's not. It's not. So then he gets to the second part. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? So, I, come, I was in Colorado Springs for 12 years. I'm mindful of the politics in Colorado Springs. It's like Utah. Okay? Very conservative. Very, very, very conservative. Okay? So, you got that there. So, if you're conservative and theologically conservative, loving somebody in Colorado Springs who's theologically conservative is easy stuff. It's easy. They're just like you. But in Colorado Springs, there's this, there's this center of, as far as most people in Colorado Springs is concerned, a nest of vipers in Boulder, Colorado. I don't agree with them, but that's nonetheless their viewpoint. I'm convinced that if when, there is, when they get to heaven, people from Boulder and people from Colorado will have separate heavens. But people in Boulder, they all talk to each other and they have a good time talking to each other. But you know what? They're talking to them, each other. The real thing that Jesus calls you to do is to recognize that if you're a Boulderite, you need to go to Colorado Springs and try to love those people. And if you're from Colorado Springs, you need to go to Boulder and try to love those people. And from you people in Utah, you need to go to San Francisco and love those people. And San Francisco people need to come here and love people from Utah. You get the rift? That's, that's the real thing that God is calling us to do. It's this opportunity to sow, S-O-W, a new way. For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that for you? No reward in this world. For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those to whom you hope to receive, what credit is that for you? Even sinners lend to, lend to sinners as much to receive as much as they gain. And he comes back to the theme. He, he said this before. He's about to say it again. But love your enemies. I think he said it twice now. <laughs> I think that's important. I, I think that's important. So do, do love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be called children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Oh, gosh. Gee, God is kind to the ungrateful? He's kind to the wicked? Say it's not so. It is so. It is very, very so. Be merciful as your Father is merciful. Now, in a second, I'm going to read you the last part of this particular passage. And sometimes we get this idea of, of you, we, we, we do things by weight. You know, I buy a pound of bread. I buy a pound of beans. I buy two pounds of steak. Something like that. Well, sometimes in, in, in Jesus' world, you bought things by volume, all right? And so you'd have this basket that was there. Now, most of us have, have tried to get more stuff into a basket, so you, you load the basket up with grain. So what do you do? You shake it. 
You shake it a little bit. You shake it and then you press down some more. And then you shake it some more and you keep getting more and more and more and more. So Jesus will tell people that God's grace is like that. You just keep, you get it and you just keep shaking it. Push, press down, shake it, press some more. It's going to be poured back into your lap. It's going to be poured back into your lap because that's the way God operates. So it doesn't make any sense in our terms, but that's the way it is. We're asked to sow a new life. We must be willing, willing to be broken open for God's resurrection life to spring forth. Now, I'm confident that some of you out there are going, this is just Dennis's seminary training from Wesley in Washington, D.C. speaking. It's his United Methodist training that he's had all this time. It's just Dennis talking. It's not. Back when I was raised Baptist, we used to pick up this book, and the book we had in the church was a, had read Jesus of Jesus. Can you hear my southern background there? Jesus. It's the words of Jesus. What does Jesus say to us? Jesus says, for the third time, for the third time, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. Though there's plenty of bad news to go around, and evil seems to run rampant in our world, God calls us to a new way of life. Though our church is torn by conflict and we fear that the institution we love may die, God promises that resurrection is possible. Though we sow seeds of hope, patience, peace, and self-control. Though the work of justice and peace is hard and we do not know what the future holds, God's steadfast love never fails but sustains us day by day. So we shall see of faithfulness, courage, endurance, and joy. And I say to you that listen, do all the good you can. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. By all the means you can. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. In all the ways you can. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. In all the places you can. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. At all the times you can. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. To all the people you can. Do to others as you would have them do to you. As, as long, long as, as ever, ever you can. can. Amen. Amen.
I'm always stunned at what it is that God gives us. These are the three of the four readings for this particular Sunday in the church here. I didn't craft the readings into this. God gave us these readings for this particular day. Let me invite you to join with me in the benediction. You charge me, I'll charge you. Let's go together. And now, may the God who created humankind by breathing life into the dust, and Jesus Christ, who showed us what it means to love your enemies, and the spirit that breaks open seeds to bring forth new life, transform you by grace, and sustain you in love to live a resurrection life this day and each day. Amen. And I give you that charge in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And all of God's children say, Amen. Hilltop is located in Sandy, Utah, 985 East, 10,600 South. Locals would say 106th. Our two worship services are at 9 o'clock and 1030. Hope to see you this Sunday. God bless. Bye-bye.